Hi, this is Steve Anderson, author of The Bezos Letters, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringle. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringle here, host of My Quest for the Best, the podcast for ambitious small business leaders. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished experts who want to share their knowledge and experiences in order to help you be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating toward more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Steve Anderson. Steve Anderson's areas of expertise are strategic risk and business growth. Drawing on decades of experience in the insurance industry, he studied Amazon's business decisions, Jeff Bezos's leadership, and wrote the Bezos Letters, 14 Principles to Grow Your Business Like Amazon. It's become a Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and international bestseller. Steve lives in Franklin, Tennessee, and is here to talk about his book, The Bezos Letters. Welcome, Steve. Bill, it's a real pleasure to be here and talk with you. It's great to have you. Steve, tell me, when you were growing up, who's somebody who influenced or inspired you? A couple of names come to mind as I've thought about that. It actually has to be my dad. He was a stalwart, instilled in me a love of technology. He worked for a computer firm for 36 years and was always solid and there for me. What was the firm he worked for? He worked for Burroughs Corporation, which is one of the early companies who were putting mainframes together. You certainly remember IBM. Burroughs became Sperry and those early computer systems. And I have to say, I remember taking a programming course in college. I did punch cards. It was COBOL. I fortunately could go to his office on Saturday morning and run my program through his multi-million dollar computers, not have to wait in line like every other student. That was a benefit too. See, you learned about technology giving you an unfair advantage, but it wasn't just the technology. It was also the relationship you had with your dad and trusting that your program to do a true false quiz wasn't going to bring down the system. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) That's fun. Do you remember an instance of getting a lesson from your dad and realizing this is something that really makes a difference? It's something that I'll carry with me. I think, honestly, more than a lesson, it was how we lived his life. Very steady, always there, willing to answer questions, not get frustrated. Even when I got married, my wife does not have the skill of numbers and accounting. So he very patiently sat with her and helped her balance her checkbook. But it was that constant steadiness that he brought that my wife now, Karen, says, you're a lot like your dad, which to me is a great compliment. That's fabulous. Can you remember an example, maybe after college in one of your first jobs, of making a decision or interacting with a coworker that was an effect of your dad's influence? My first job, I worked for the United States Postal Service in the summers throughout my college career to make money. I remember that first summer I was literally walking, delivering mail house to house, filling in for vacations and things like that. It was that industriousness that I walked fast, I finished early, and that first week or so, I came back to the post office early, and I got pulled aside pretty quickly saying, if you finish early, don't come back in. You're setting a bad example for those of us who are full-time here. That was my first inkling that not everybody thought like I did in terms of of doing a good job. I got pulled back and I respected them because I did understand they were full-time. I did end up working some Christmases and it's brutal. 
<laughs> but again, back to my dad. He always gave 100% on anything he did. That was a surprise to me, actually, when I got into, quote, the real world. That's interesting to have that integrity of always wanting to give your best and then being told, well, wait a second, slow down there, boy. That's right. <laughs> That's pretty much what I was told. Slow down there, read a book, go find a shady tree somewhere, and you don't come back in till 2.30 in the afternoon. Jeff Bezos was just 30 when he launched Amazon, and he did it 27 years ago from his garage. Last year, in 2020, it recorded $386 billion in revenue. It's 1.3 million employees would not fit in his garage today. That is for sure. There are not many places where those employees would fit anymore. As an analyst and observer, I imagine you'd say it was not a stroke of luck or even a lucky streak, but rather a result of following these principles, frameworks, and models. Now, all of them weren't there at the beginning. What would be the most important idea or principle that could account for Amazon's success as a young private startup before it went public? I think there are some principles that were intuitive in Bezos as he looked at the opportunity that this new technology, the internet, might provide. He had a really good job on Wall Street. He walked away from year-end bonus, but he said, and he's talked about this in several interviews, I asked myself, when I'm 80, am I going to regret not trying, meaning start a new business? He said, I probably would. That was his impetus to leave and start this new business because the internet, again, think 1994-95 was brand new, just coming out of academic into business and commercial. Nobody quite knew what it was or quite knew what the potential was, but I think he saw the growth potential there. He started with books, not because he's a book lover, I think he is, but he actually created a list of about 20 products that he looked at and said, which of these products would be easiest to sell online? And books came to the top because the internet allowed unlimited shelf space, whereas the bookstores at the time had a limited inventory that they could carry. But he knew on the internet, he would have unlimited shelf space. And one book is exactly like another book. If you buy my book on Amazon or you go into Barnes & Noble, it's the exact same thing. So being able to deliver that book when people want it at a price that was lower than currently available is what gave him that start. I would say betting on himself and being willing to experiment and figure out what worked and what didn't work. That was something that continued in Amazon as it grew. That's so true that openness to learning, of course, the principle of it's always day one being so important. Let me just say this. In, in the 97 letter, which is the first letter he wrote as a public company, some of those themes come out clearly. The phrase is in the letter, this is day one for the internet. If we execute well for Amazon.com and that day one mindset is, again, I think a very core idea and a core belief of Amazon and has been built into and is a part of the culture. I think the other thing is obsess over customers. Another is the importance of employees and not just hiring high quality employees. Bezos had very high standards for himself and for others at Amazon, but incorporating those high standards. 
several of these principles all talk about how those actually were built out in the company over the succeeding years. One of the things that I thought was especially insightful in your book, The Bezos Letters, is return on risk. Can you explain how that creates a central path to more customers, more offerings, and more revenue as Bezos steered the company through its growth stages? There were a a lot of things that Amazon did that were, and probably still are, very counterintuitive, especially in the way business was done in those early days. One of the core ideas with Bezos is testing and experimenting. That is my first principle, which is encourage successful failure. Bezos knew early on that the key to invention is experimentation. And when you do an experiment, you're going to fail because if you aren't, it's not an experiment. He talks in multiple letters throughout the years of the importance of being willing to experiment, as he says, being willing to suffer the failures until you find something that works really well. There are lots of examples of of that. A quick one is Amazon Prime. Started in the early 2000s and it came out of customer obsession. Again, I'm pulling several principles in here, but this is the beauty of the principles. They all stand on their own, but they all work with each other. What's the biggest friction point for someone buying online, especially in those early days? It was going to the cart, picking what you wanted, going to checkout, and only then seeing the cost of shipping and how many people even today abandon that cart, right? Because I can probably just go to Home Depot and get it and I don't have to pay shipping. Like I used to do, I remember actually letting things accumulate accumulate in my cart until I had hit the $25 or $35 mark to get free shipping. Yeah, that was the experiment that led to Prime. It was super saver shipping. It actually started at $99, dropped down to $50, and then dropped down to $25. And Bezos pretty much unilaterally said, we're going to create a program that is subscription Prime that will give free shipping. And I think it's important to understand that the senior leadership team at the time thought he was crazy. We can't afford it. You know, we'll give up millions of dollars in shipping fees to cover our costs. How are we going to make enough money to pay for shipping? But what they learned during that super saver experiment was that, like you just said, Bill, people would wait to get more into their cart to tip over to free shipping. Typically, very few hands don't go up. Then I ask why? And almost always the comment comes, it's easy. What I say is, Amazon has spent billions of dollars and years of work to make it easy. They've removed the friction out of dealing with getting something that you need. All of a sudden, it shows up on your porch maybe that same day. What's interesting is that the business side of it also bears out the risk because in 2018, the average prime customer spent $1,400. The average non-prime customer spent $600. So buying in and spending that extra money, whatever they lost a little bit on the shipping, which has greatly gone down because of their distribution network. Correct. They've greatly made up for in the additional because it flips the psychology. Correct. People aren't thinking now whether I should buy or make a purchase now. They're thinking, how do I maximize the value of my $129 investment? Exactly. What Bezos said was, if it's better for the customer, it will be better for Amazon. 
on eventually long-term thinking and better for our shareholders. Again, it's this idea of everything starts with the customer and then works backwards from there. That's a, a key idea. This whole idea of return on risk really comes out of my insurance background. It's that we measure return on investment, but we don't measure the risk that we take. Are we getting a return on that risk-taking mentality? I think we can measure that as an indicator of how are we moving forward. And the question I'm asking a lot now is the biggest risk your business faces today, not taking enough risk. I think that bears out in the way that you phrase it and the way that Amazon speaks about it. You want to place bets on big risks. You want to bet on big successes and take small steps toward them. But examples like the Amazon marketplace, where you actually are putting your competitors' listings right next to your own in-house listings. I bet you there was a good deal of resistance to that internally. Massive resistance. Are you kidding me? We're going to give up our prime real estate, that sales page, to a third-party seller. But what Bezos said was, if a third-party seller has inventory and we don't, it's better for the customer. If a third-party seller has a lower price than we're able to give, it's better for the customer. And if it's better for the customer, it's better for, again, you heard this phrase, right? It's better for Amazon and better for our shareholders. Let me also interject this, Bill. Another principle is understand your flywheel. Everything that we just talked about with third-party sellers actually feeds into Amazon's flywheel and is one of the powerful things that has allowed them to grow the way they have over the last 26, 27 years now. I'm going to go in a direction of this, not serendipitous, but sometimes they're bets were things that were right underneath their noses that they wouldn't have realized unless they had taken time to step back and reflect on it. One of those big visible examples of that is AWS, Amazon Web Services, Yep. where that wasn't something on anyone's dashboard until they said, you know, we've actually gotten pretty good at developing these online services and we're using them extensively in-house. It really wouldn't take much to create a customer-facing interface to that. Can you talk about the story where that came about? AWS was a solution for Amazon. At Amazon, they were growing so fast that they had different development teams for different parts of Amazon that were all building the same things. They all had a database. They all needed a checkout process. They all needed a catalog to list their products. What Bezos realized at the time was we needed to develop one set that any of our internal developers could access those services. Believe me, this was way before cloud computing, right? All the things that we know today. This was a brand new concept. In 2003, Bezos sent a email out and basically said to all employees at Amazon. Let me jump in. I believe that I read in your book that it was a 2003 company retreat where they kind of reviewed this. Did Bezos actually have the impetus for us to put that on the agenda ahead of time? The edict went out before that that said that all development at Amazon would be based on common protocols, what we now call APIs, that everybody would use that same and they would develop open platforms so that any other department at Amazon could utilize those same services regardless of where they were originally developed. That's the concept of shared computing resources. It was Andy Jassy who developed AWS at the senior leadership meeting. That's when they realized that 
if we needed this in our development, there had to be other developers that might want to access these same services. Again, they didn't know. So they had to experiment. They had to try it out with various developers or companies. Even today, Netflix, those movies that you watch streaming are coming from AWS. And there are businesses today that have been developed around the services that AWS provides. What Bezos says in his shareholder letters is AWS, he said, was a business miracle for Amazon, meaning they had a seven-year lead before other competitors realized this could be something. Now, what he said was normally when we develop something, we've got a two-year lead, you know, Kindle, two-year lead until Sony or Nook or other competitors started coming out with e-readers. Two-year lead is what he calls normal in business. But with AWS, they had a seven-year lead, and he calls that a business miracle because they were able to get such a head start on developing various services that now developers were saying, hey, can you do this? Can you do this? So they were getting direction from developers who actually said, I need this service. That head start is still there to Today, when you look at the number of cloud services that are available, Azure, Google Cloud, Amazon typically are the top three. There are a few other ones that have a much smaller percentage. Amazon still has a huge competitive lead in providing those services to a lot of developers. I thought it was very interesting to see that AWS follows the same model of the three pillars of customer experience that the rest of the store follows, or the other side, which is more of the public-facing side. This is the developer or geeky side, where it's the widest selection, the lowest price, and most convenient. And they've made an effort to do that because what they offer is just extraordinarily broad and it's everything that they're using in-house. One of the things I wanted to go further on was that they do this in so many different aspects, right down to so many different aspects of looking at their company, looking at the customer experience, looking at their messaging even. The Amazon logo is an example of that. When they revised the logo, they said that the logo is not just there to show that Amazon delivers smiles to people's doorsteps, but they very deliberately drew the arrow or the swoosh, which is the smile, from A to Z, right. meaning that they deliver everything you can think of from A to Z and bring it to their customers' doorsteps and following those principles. Exactly. How does that relate to obsessing over customers? Is that something that is just a, a peripheral story or is that still something that's so deep in the company? It's just an obvious result of their meetings, their reviews, and their obsession. It is deeply ingrained in the culture there. As a new employee, even in the interview process, I mean, you should go through and understand the leadership principles and ex what that mindset is like at Amazon. It even goes deeper than that, Bill. So it's obsessing over customers, but it's also working from the customer backwards. I mentioned that phrase earlier, and let me give you an example of how that works at Amazon. It goes to also decision-making and how they are able to continue to invent literally entirely new parts of Amazon when most companies only have one, right? Amazon has the retail to consumer division. They have AWS. Now they're building out their, again, marketplace for third-party sellers and fulfilled by Amazon, which is, I don't even have to sell my stuff on Amazon, but Amazon will actually warehouse it and ship it on my behalf, again, for a fee. They built up this infrastructure and 
now they're working on, I'm following pretty closely their logistics, right? Their fleet of airplanes, their delivery drivers that they have empowered third parties to create businesses that deliver the packages for Amazon. I think in the not too distant future, you will see some pretty stiff competition for FedEx, UPS, and United States Postal Service. Part of that literally does come back to customer obsession because there were some situations around the holiday season where they had some real problems getting packages delivered by relying on third-party delivery services. So they said, okay, I think we've got to build our own. The logistics as a service like AWS's computing services, I think could be another one of their big bets. They move to automated delivery, correct? which isn't even going to involve people. They'll have such a head start with that through all of their acquisitions and their expertise that I think that it's a pretty safe bet. We're going to see drones as a pretty common occurrence in the not too distant future. Would, would you agree with that? Continue to experiment. I think drones are a lot more complicated maybe than they realized. Bezos first announced their drone program on, I think it was 60 Minutes and oh, probably five or six years ago now. We haven't seen that actually come to fruition. There are tests actually even here in Franklin, Tennessee is one of the test sites for their Scout program, which is a little robotic delivery vehicle that runs up and down the sidewalks. Again, that goes back to long-term thinking. They're willing to invest long-term in ideas that they think will help customers. I also want to say they don't do just kind of any experiment. They don't throw things against the wall. They have a very specific process to determine which things they move forward with and which things they don't. I love the emphasis you place on process because I thought that was one of the most elegant explanations that I read about in the Bezos letters was where Jeff Bezos answered critics who said, you have to have a retail store. It's obvious. Come on. He says, there are things we can't figure out about that yet. It doesn't pass the criteria of our established process. Correct. I just thought that was really a strong answer from a leader of a a significant company. Correct. Fast forward from when he said that in 2006, he talked about that in their capital criteria. But the thing that really caught my attention in his description there of why they haven't opened retail stores is this phrase. This is what might be a 15th principle is we haven't figured out how to have a meaningfully differentiated experience in the retail environment for our customers until they did. So one of the things I talk about and what Amazon is actually going full bore on right now is they're just walk out technology. So Amazon Go, again, back to experimenting, inventing on behalf of the customer. An Amazon Go store, and they're probably 23 to 25 of them in operation today. You walk in, you scan your app that opens the subway style doors that allows you to go into the store. You pick up a basket or depending on the store, it could be a cart, could be a basket. You pick up and you start pulling things off the shelf. This is like a 7-Eleven convenience store. You know, it's got prepackaged sandwiches and drinks and chips and candy and things like that. There are cameras and sensors on the shelves and in the ceiling that actually are watching what you do and keeping track of what you actually take off the shelf and put in the basket. Now in their 
their larger store, the grocery carts actually have scanners in them. So when you put the item in the cart, it scans it and adds it to your list. When you're done, you just walk out. There is no checkout. Because what Bezos said was, we are trying to solve the biggest problem with retail, which is checking out. I don't like the self-checkouts anymore because they're not always working. They don't always scan right. And the, you know, put the thing in your bag and then it doesn't recognize it. It's clunky and cumbersome. They are trying to figure out, and it looks like they have because they are now expanding from those small convenience stores into 10 and 15,000 square foot grocery stores with that same technology. And as Amazon has done in the past, they are also making that technology available, licensing it to other companies. They create the technology, they experiment, experiment, fail, experiment, finally invent something that looks like it's going to work. And it's held on to themselves, but it actually then starts creating another additional revenue stream into the company. At the same time, they're building it out too. One of the things that I recognize really quickly because of my time at Apple is that they're building an ecosystem. Yes. The more enterprises and entities that you could have supporting you, encouraging that success and benefiting economically through that interaction, the more that you've created an ecosystem that can be self-sustaining and continue to thrive. Exactly. One of the other interesting technologies that's relatively new now, it's called Amazon One, and it's actually a palm reader, kind of like a fingerprint reader, but but your palm is scanned. And what they found is people's palms are unique and they just licensed it to a ticket company at sports venues. So instead of having to have your ticket and those kinds of things, you can have your palm scanned and it recognizes that it's attached to the ticket and you can walk on through. Another principle that makes this all work is that they say that every employee, regardless of your role, your job responsibilities or title is a leader. And they're expected to act like a leader. They're expected to think like a leader. That really encourages a lot of these ideas, a lot of the experimentation and gives people empowerment. Can you talk about how this might impact companies that you've worked with when they hear about this in order to charge every person in their company and say, I expect you to be a leader? One, with it not being built up, that's a hard transition to make. It's not impossible by any stretch of the imagination. But in most companies, this is part of what's unique at Amazon. In most companies, you as an employee are not encouraged to come up with ideas to experiment with. They may have a research and development department that is, that's their responsibility. But at Amazon, every employee is empowered, supported, encouraged. And if frankly, an employee comes up with an idea that looks like it could be something worthwhile to pursue, that employee could get plucked out of wherever they are right now and be put in charge of that project. Do you have an example of that where somebody came up with an idea and they suddenly found themselves now with a budget and staff. At Amazon, it's not always with a budget. It's figure out how to do it even without a budget. The Amazon just walk out shopping was one of those ideas of a technical person who realized with the development of machine learning, pattern matching, the camera image recognition quality that they could start experimenting with being able to track what people pick off the shelf. I think what's really important, what they put back, right? Often you'll Mm -hmm. pick something up 
and look at it and put it back, well, they actually are able to recognize that. I'm sure they could tell also in the grocery store if somebody picks up something, takes a bite of it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Or the kid who wants the candy bar before uh, you pay for it, etc. I, I would say there are processes at Amazon that help with this. I started mentioning it earlier, I didn't finish. One of them is called the six-page narrative, which is how every decision is made at Amazon. Here's the basic background. In 2004, Jeff Bezos sent out an email to the senior leadership team, and those are the top executives. They have a meeting every week, and they're the ones that keep things going. He said, no longer will we have any PowerPoint presentations, eventually, very quickly, in Amazon everywhere. So you will never walk into a meeting and watch somebody give a PowerPoint presentation. Bezos says those tools promote sloppy thinking. So when we go back to the experimenting, it's not that they just willy-nilly do something, but they've created a process that it started then. That six-page narrative, when you walk into a meeting, you literally are handed a printed document, maximum of six pages, that explains, here's why we're here in this meeting today. Here's the decision I need made. Move forward, don't move forward. Here's the first item, the future press release for when this proposed product, service, platform is released to the public, here's the press release announcing it. Here are the benefits. Then that goes into frequently asked questions. What are all the questions that we have that maybe we don't know the answers to, but what are the questions we have to solve and how are we going to solve it? Do we have internal resources or are we going to have to go outside and get new skills and find people who can do those things to help us move forward with this? The first 10, 15, mm. 20 minutes is spent everyone in study hall reading that document. It's because yes. of the kind of obsession that people are able to look at what customer experience is like, look for ways to reduce that. I know that I read in your book about how people respond to customer service inquiries when they receive the wrong item or they have a bad experience or what they asked for wasn't delivered. Can you share the example of your wife, Karen, when <laughs> yeah. she got the coffee and she asked for decaf and they sent her caffeinated. It was like Colombian high test. So she got it, ordered it online. It had the picture of what she wanted and she didn't get it. It was obviously shipped in a couple of days. First time she went on a chat and very quickly they said, well, order it again. Keep what you have. Again, it's not the cost of shipping back. It's not your responsibility. It was our error. A couple of days later, exact same thing. So there was a problem in the catalog. It was identifying a product that didn't match up correctly with the fulfillment center. She then got on the phone, again, apologized. That person at that point said, I, I am removing that product from our catalog. And, and in the background, it actually goes to an exception department that figures out what happened. And, and not just, I think this is another key point, not just somebody mistyped something into the catalog, right? The number got mixed up, whatever, but actually going back a couple of steps saying, how do we prevent this in the future. That's part of that process management that Amazon does really well. It's not fix the problem, it's fixing the cause of the problem. Do we have to change something? That leads into one of Bezos' statements, which is having a skeptical view of proxies. And for Bezos, proxies are those processes and procedures that are supposed to serve customers, but might not, and have a skeptical view of those and be willing to change those, even from a, a lower level employee. I think that's one of the keys. Back to your original question was, how can a, a current business incorporate some of
of these kinds of processes in their own business. I said it was hard. It's not impossible. It's letting your employees know that you actually will encourage their experimentation. That is a mindset that isn't in most businesses today. It's so true, Steve. It's something that's not apparent. It's not clear in businesses. Yet when we're forced to adapt, like COVID pandemic lockdown has caused us to adapt, you see where there are strengths, capability, and mindset that support the flexibility in order to adapt. Many companies are written about in the reports and magazines and reported on. They're talked about how they've had failures. Very few are talked about that have gotten even stronger and been made even more successful because of their adaptation, because of the mindset and culture that the companies have created. I've heard dozens and dozens of these stories because those are the kind of people that I bring into my life and my world in order to inform me about what's going on. I want to hear about the successes. Let's pivot on that because I have a question for you, Steve. Are you ready for the My Quest for the Best Lightning Round? Let's do it. At the beginning of the interview, I asked you about someone who influenced or inspired you and you talked about your dad. When you were a teenager, Steve, what was a song that you loved? It had to be something from Chicago. So the rock band Chicago. I love the combination of the horns and the guitar and all of that. So Chicago is still my favorite group. When you think about staying on track and being productive with all of the different demands you have on your time, is there a tool or a system that you use to stay on track with the interviews that you give, with the work you do with insurance, with the speeches that you give, or other consulting work that you do? Yeah, actually, there's a very specific process I follow and and maybe surprising to some. I, In fact, I'll hold it up here. I don't know if we're recording or not, but I actually use a physical planner. In you know December-ish, I'll come up with what my goals are for the next year. Then I'll break those goals down into typically quarterly. When do I want to achieve those goals by. And then I break that down into really the top three things I can do each quarter, each week, then I literally each day. And again, obviously I get more specific or smaller that I can do that will move me forward on achieving those goals. So an easy one is writing the book. I had a goal, I still do actually, of writing 500 words every day. It could be a newsletter, it doesn't matter what it is, but I realized a long time ago, writing is a great tool for marketing, for getting people to hear and understand what my thoughts are and how I see things. And breaking that down is what gave me the structure around actually finishing the book. When you were making the decision to become an Amazon Prime member, what was the thinking process like for you when you went through that for yourself? It's almost irresponsible not to subscribe to Prime, meaning appreciate, well, and now, right, from the early days, but even now, Amazon has kept adding things to Prime, right? So now Prime Video, all of those are included as part of the subscription. Again, that early on in our discussion that Prime members spend almost twice as much as non-Prime members. So for Amazon, anything that they can add to that, be reading Kindle books, be it video, streaming, I don't even know all the different things that you have access to at Prime. It's a no-brainer. You had me at free shipping. Exactly. You've also developed quite a following on LinkedIn. What do you attribute the rise of your visibility and following on LinkedIn to? I don't remember what year now. I think it was 2013. I literally got an email out of the blue from an editor at LinkedIn. I'd been on LinkedIn and part of LinkedIn for a little while. Asked 
asking if I'd be interested in participating in a new program they were putting together called LinkedIn Influencers. And I deleted it. I thought it was spam. And I kept thinking about it, got it out of my deleted files uh, folder and started doing a little bit of research. And Chip Cutter was the name. I looked legit. I responded back to him. I'd be interested. So I was part of that first 150 influencers. That is the reason I have so many followers today because LinkedIn actually promotes me to, I would say, new LinkedIn users, but also to existing users. You see some of that in when you're looking at your network, et cetera. So for me, the more interesting question is, how did they find me? Frankly, I asked that question and I never got a good answer. I'll go back to writing. I have been writing articles, all kinds of things in various publications within my insurance niche for many, many years. Something caught that editor's attention about what I was writing. I have no idea where. I think that's an important point. You don't know when you write, when you put information out there. Today, it's not just written word, it's video. It might be audio like podcasts. You never know Who's going to hear that and say, I really like what the way he thinks and connect with you, engage with you, et cetera? Close friend or family member, what would they say would be one of the most obvious ways that researching the Bezos letters and studying Amazon has influenced your own work style, practices, or habits? I actually have incorporated myself into what I'm doing. So I just, in the insurance space, recently started a a new company in partnership with several state insurance associations. As we were looking to raise money, I convinced the group to let me do a six-page narrative. That's how we presented the offering to a group of about 15 different state executives. Partly what I realized there is writing that is really hard. Bezos says, kind of back to that, is a good narrative takes a week. It's not something you just dash off. It is something that takes thought and deep thinking. That's, again, why it's such a great tool to move forward. But I would say I am incorporating in what I do today the principles that I learned from Bezos. One of the other things that I I remember from Jeff Bezos is that he said, first of all, I think it's great that it takes a week or two. He gives that expectation because how many times do have you or I have seen people slap together a slideshow before entering a meeting or working on it during the meeting? Right. You can't do that with a six page narrative. It's printed. You got to hand it out. People are going to read it, mark it up and then engage with it. It takes that longer period of time. What I discovered when I did that, and we literally took 15 minutes and let everybody read it. It was the most awkward 15 minutes I can remember a long time. The discussion afterwards was so much richer than I think it ever would have been if we had done typical PowerPoint presentation. But this Steve Anderson's crazy. What are we doing here, right? It's kind of thing, but absolutely. Good for you for keeping that down and letting them have the experience of reading the six-page narrative that you wrote. What's the most important habit, routine, or belief that you've stopped in the last six months that's brought you the most personal or personal pleasure or satisfaction? You might laugh, but stop eating snacks before bed, after dinner. Fabulous. What (laughs) kind of a difference has that made in your life? It's kind of the uh, COVID or not getting out as much and some of those kinds of things. I realized I I had a little more weight than I wanted. And I realized it wasn't necessarily that I was hungry, but I liked the crunchy, chewy chips or whatever it might be, that I didn't need to do that. Just a small way to improve health 
health, help weight, and mentally help me realize I'm in control of what I do. Good for you. Steve, imagine that there's a manager or rising star or leader in a company who's reading them out and they start to get an idea or they get excited about something early on. What would you encourage them to do in order to get the most value out of reading and applying the Bezos letters in their business? Bill, I actually think of a couple of examples of business owners. I'm thinking one in particular here in Nashville that I did some work with that bought multiple copies of the book for each of his team members. They were getting ready to start a new initiative, something that was brand new for the company, had a lot of potential. And he actually bought a book for everybody, asked them to read it, and then spent some time talking through how the principles might apply in this new venture. I thought that was a one insightful on his part, kind of that getting everybody on the same page because some of the terminology is different, right? And and understand how the principles might apply in this new venture. Having a common language to talk about, does this serve our customers? What experiments do we need to do to find out how to do our product or service better? So I think that that's an illustration of you going in and reading the book and, and trying to instill this in your department or group or team or whatever that looks like in in your business without any context around it is probably pretty difficult. I've said this already, and I'm going to emphasize it again. Bezos' business mindset is very counterintuitive to a typical business owner. I actually think that's one of his strengths. He doesn't just rely on the way it's always been done, but how can we do it better going forward? I think if if you can realize that, that this is counterintuitive, it is uncomfortable, like me doing the six-page memo, and it might not work the first time. But are you willing to experiment, see what didn't work, pivot a little bit, and continue to move forward? I I think that your experience with this would help people set the right expectations in order to be more successful making these shifts and additions within their companies. Have you ever considered doing that and working with business leaders to promote a program where they could learn these? Yes, Bill, I have. In fact, I've got a a program in the marketing phase right now that I'm calling the Bezos Letters Accelerator, a a nine-week program for a small group of business owners who want to make a difference in their business. We'll be going through not all 14 principles, but we're going through many of the principles and specifically talk about in a in a group coaching mastermind setting about how these could apply in your own business. What are the pushbacks that you'll have to deal with, how to overcome those, and how to move forward with taking these growth principles and making sure that you can apply them in your own situation situation as effectively as possible. Steve, I just want to thank you for joining me on my quest for the best today. You have been so generous in sharing your wisdom and experience from studying Jeff Bezos's letters. We talked about a great many things, including how your father was an inspiration in your early life, return on risk, the bets uh, that Amazon encourages people to make, making sure that everyone who enters the company thinks of themselves as a leader, and so many more reasons. For those reasons and so many more, I want to thank you, Steve Anderson, author of The Bezos Letters, for joining me on my quest for the best. Bill, it's been a pleasure having a conversation with you. Thank you. 
Steve, before we say goodbye for now, tell me where we can find out more about you and your work online. The uh, website uh, that you can go to is thebezosletters.com. Steve, we're going to link to thebezosletters.com. We're also going to link to your social media as well as the Bezos Letter Accelerator to make it so easy for people who go to the show notes of this episode to keep up with what's going on in your work life and your thought leadership. Steve Anderson, author of The Bezos Letters, once again, thank you so much for joining me on My Quest for the Best. My pleasure. Thank you. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on My Quest for the Best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback, and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on my quest for the best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.